career, and whether you work in a corporate organization, a small business, or on your own, if you are trying to get ahead, this is the podcast episode for you. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me today, and I just wanted to know, first thoughts, what is it that you want to be known for? My, uh, sort of my mission is spreading the message that we're all leaders, that each and every one of us is a leader and it starts with us. And when we can lead ourselves and be intentional about how we want to live, how we want to grow our business and so on, then we lead. And why do you enjoy working with leaders? I really work really enjoy working with people. And because I consider everybody a leader, it's again, it doesn't mean that I only work with people who lead others. I work with entrepreneurs that might be solopreneurs, but again, my passion is like bringing the leader. Oh, okay. Right. Off the person, whether they're in a position of already leading some people or whether they're not, but they might be down the line because even if you're a solopreneur, you're still leading your clients, right? You have an expertise in something Mm -hmm. that when your client signed up, they trust in you as an expert to help them. And it could be just getting better in health, like whatever it is. It doesn't matter what you're doing, right? And again, why? Because I truly believe that the only way we can lead is leading by example. So when you grow yourself, you ultimately lead others. And I'm just super passionate about it. That's, I guess, why I know. When did you start this? Like, why did you jump into this field of helping people? I think it's been in my, you know, consciousness as a little girl, I always wanted to be a teacher Okay. and like I would teach my teddy bears and so on. But originally I'm from Poland. And at that time, my mom has been a teacher most of her life, most of her careers. And then when I grew up, I realized like, oh, you know, being a teacher in Poland really barely pays the bills. Maybe I'm not going to be a teacher. But then when I immigrated to Canada and I entered a corporate world very quickly, I became a people leader, a team leader. And through that, I had some great mentors, but through that, I truly discover just a passion for it. So every position as I moved in the corporate world, every position where I had people under me, I was super happy and really fulfilled and, you know, seeing people do more than they thought they could do and then grow in their careers was very fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there was a few positions that I had that I didn't have necessarily direct reports. I would just deal with clients or do some projects and so on. Even though I was good at them, I didn't stay long. Like I always, you know, kind of went back to two roles where I had people. And so then when, you know, an idea for my business came in, it was from that need to do more of what I love, coach and develop people and less of what I'm just good at. Well, the corporate world and training, I mean, the training has always been a piece of it, but we have really started to evolve that into more personal development and people development more than we did 20, 30 years ago. How has that industry evolved like you know what personally like I was you know in the corporate world I was more of an in operational leader right so I wasn't in HR training people and so on my training yes of course I trained my own team members when they came in on processes systems whatever whatever they needed to be successful but I think the opportunity 
for the leaders to coach more and develop is that when you have, not when you're an HR person trying to train people maybe on certain processes or corporate policies and so on, that's just your typical educational training. Mm -hmm. But when you're a team leader, when you have people under you, where you motivate them, you have some common goal that as a team you go towards and your role is to motivate the team, bring the best out of them and help ultimately everybody succeed that's where coaching is just such an amazing tool as opposed to that typical authoritative you know do as I say approach like I I don't truly believe it works anymore it might have worked I don't know in the 80s when I was a child so I don't know how that well that worked but maybe but right now I I doubt it did it's just the way that it was right but but you've seen a change yes and I think it's because First of all, we have five generation of the workforce, and I don't think that was ever the case, right? You you have really everybody from baby boomers to whatever the youngest generation Gen is. Z. I don't even know it's that, right? Generation Z. Um, and all of those generations are different. And on top of it, yes, we're more global. There's more diversity in culture, backgrounds, and the ways of thinking and so on. So there's that. But on top of it, because we're such an evolved, especially in the Western hemisphere, right, where we're really an intellectual economy now, right? A lot of things that were done very, that were fairly like A to Z simple is automated and As humans, when we work, we need to use our brain and the technology and the markets change so much that then one leader, nobody knows it all. It used to be the leader who went through the ranks, knew it all, had all the answers and then just help, you know, employees maybe to tell them what to do. That doesn't happen anymore. A leader, most of the time, doesn't know half of this stuff, like the typical, you know, work, what their team does. It's all about more, you know, how do you say, empowering collaboration, empowering some creative solutions and so on. And those are different skills than having all the answers. Right. Now, back because, right, the older generation, like back in the 80s, 70s, you know, they were told, do this. And they went and they did that. And that's mm-hmm. how our schools are set up. You do yes. this, you do that. Yes. And their schools are set up to train people to do that. So, but in today's world, people need to think for themselves. Yes. So how can we train people to stop acting like they're in school and start thinking for themselves? So definitely. So let's just say if you're in a workforce as a leader is by empowering people to be able to make decisions and allowing them to feel safe to make those decisions, right? Because when we make decisions, none of us is human and like all of us are human, sorry, none of us is perfect. (laughs) That's what I meant. None of us is perfect. So some of those decisions will have intended consequences (laughs) Some of them will not, but creating a self-atmosphere with certain boundaries saying, okay, if you make a decision within those boundaries, even if the result of this is not exactly what we wanted, you're okay, right? You're not losing your job because you did something. So that one. That's key. Yes. That is so key. Yes. Yes. Creating safety. I would get a job. And the whole time I would be so anxious I was about to lose it. Mm -hmm. 
that doesn't bring out the best out of people, you know, fear-based. I, you know, usually did happen because I usually made a decision like, cause I do jump, grab the ball and I do run with it, but I'm anxious Mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that is extremely important. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's how you bring the best out of people because they feel empowered and then they come up with ideas and then those ideas are creative and they're different than you would ever think. And the more you can create, the faster the company can grow. And yes, your job is to set those boundaries, right? For, 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 for employees, depending on what it is. But then the second thing is asking good questions. And again, how you can empower people to think is by asking good questions. And that's where the coaching comes, right? As coaches, what we do is yes, we can teach our clients certain skills and elevate, but ultimately we want to ask them great questions and bring the best out of them what they already have Mm -hmm. and as we teach them skills they elevate the way they think and we again bring the best what's already in them based on that skill and that those skills could be used by any leader even you know in a corporate world and so on and that's how you empower people to truly and then you know Again, once you have people underneath you, then there's also people, leadership, motivational, having a vision and and having common values as a team and building that dynamic in your team to bring best out of everybody, but at the same time, row in the same direction, right? So you don't have individuals working, doing the best, but the sum of individuals is higher because Mm. it's a team output. Um, in the current market, nobody can do it alone. There's no company, bigger company that can just Ryan. run out of one person, right? Solopreneurs, yes, don't get me wrong. Like I'm no, no, not, no, 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 just, it's just funny because I had a conversation with someone earlier and going over everything that I do for people, they're like, and have no one helping you? Like, do you sleep? <laughs> So, uh, but you know what, when you're telling me about this, you're, you're explaining like how, um, you know, we don't call them managers anymore. Mm-hmm. What do we call them if we don't call them managers anymore? I think we should call them like anybody who has people and me under them, they should be called the people leader. Like I say, for me, when you manage, you can really manage like processes and systems and tools, but we don't managing people what does that mean like you being a parent them to be more efficient <laughs> or whatever <clears throat> so I don't think of um again managing people I actually treat it as people leading right you're leading people in a certain direction you're you're bringing the best out of them empowering them to be the best and kind of yeah create results together that the company wants right um, the same way you don't manage yourself. Like, I don't like, like self-management. What's that mean? Like leading yourself. Right? How important, but how important is it that we use the right words when, when we talk about this stuff? I think it is, you know, words have power. Somebody told me once that words create worlds and the way we, you know, name certain things and refer to something things the words have connotations right in people's minds they really have the meaning so that's the thing when we say people management then people think like what are you gonna do are you gonna you're just gonna tell me what to do right you're just gonna manage me as opposed to that is the huge difference then yeah yeah 
Yeah. If you're a manager or if someone comes in and their, their, their title's manager, the other people might be thinking, oh, well, you're just going to tell me what to do. Yeah. But if their title is people leader, then people's expect you come in, your expectations are going to be a little bit different about what mm-hmm. your job is. And it gives you a little bit more permission to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, those leaders who lead from a spreadsheet, as we say, <laughs> you know, they, they know where every penny is and they don't really know the people. They don't know what they do. Like you said, leaders mm-hmm. can't know everything that everyone does unless they go and ask everyone from the receptionist right up through to yeah. their own um whatever you call, what do they call assistants nowadays? <laughs> yeah, I think assistants. Are well, they still called assistants? Yeah, I, I know so. they're not called secretaries anymore. No so. assistants. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you have someone that leads from a spreadsheet and stays behind the doors and wants to just tell people what to do, is there a way that people, the leadership within the community, company can maybe guide them to being a little less autocratic and a little more diplomatic? Yeah, I think so. Well, of course, depending on, okay, if you're talking about the CEO, the boss of the boss, (laughs) then I would say maybe the executive team, you know, or a person who has the closest connections with the boss of the boss and CEO cut suggest right if there was a board above that would be a great place to you know suggest certain improvements if it's a you know if it's a leader that is let's say not a ceo that would be great if whether it's an hr department or somebody else from the executive team or even their boss just is like maybe you should get a coach or maybe you should, you know, there was reviews and performance reviews and all that. Like, again, I'm thinking about like larger companies where there is certain structure into assessing people's performance and so on. And, and for me, you know, again, I don't think you can really tap to the full potential of the people because those numbers are produced by somebody right they they're not like magically showing up on the spreadsheet and just like being there on its life of its own no there is somebody there human beings creating through their work and through the service or product whatever your business says those numbers mm-hmm. right and they can be even better if you actually lead those people to their full potential. And if you don't just look at the numbers, because when you focus on the right thing, the numbers will take care of themselves. Yes, you need to know them. And yes, you need to, you know, analyze them because they can tell a story, but it should be the other way around, right? We start Mm -hmm. with people, we lead people, we look at the numbers and can tell us maybe potentially where there is a problem or where things are working and so on, rather than looking at the numbers completely disjointed from the reality and making decisions from there. Mm -hmm. Numbers just should inform us and give us additional, you know, hard information, but never decisions should never be taken in isolation. This is just one of the inputs to the decision. 
that, but that's, you know, my, yeah, no, I, no, I, <laughs> Hey, uh, I didn't work in, I didn't work a lot in the corporate world. Um, you know, I worked in more small and medium sized startups, mm-hmm. uh, didn't really get the job with TELUS or, you know, those big corporations. <laughs> we don't have a lot of those big corporations in Canada. No, we no. Well, I guess proportionally to our population. <laughs> we there's have. only less than two. There's less than there's like 1900 and some odd mm-hmm. corporations in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not a lot. No, I don't think so. And and then again, like I, I don't know how many there are in US, but if you think about, you know, in Canada, would we have like 40 million people? And then in US, they have like 380 something. Million. Right. No, but, but for a percentage, like a percentage of, yeah. you know, our economy, 80% is SME. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. We, we have a lot yeah. more SME yeah. kind of corporation or a lot more SMEs than we do have. Uh, large corporations mm-hmm. and you know some of these changes can be implemented easier and faster in the smaller yes places where you got less people making a decision yes but in the corporate world we have more people being part of the decision making process how does that affect the people and the, their ability to lead when they've got to run things past different organizations and then there's this decision paralysis it can be so it can be so I guess it depends on the company personally I did work for a corporation but probably not as big as the largest ones with still some sort of an entrepreneurial spirit where the local leaders of the departments had a lot of autonomy in decisions making and you know, maybe it was also me like picking the leaders that I could really gel well with and work well with when I didn't feel that, that, mm-hmm. you know, that you have to go through like million levels to get something done. It was usually very quick, but, you know, there is definitely that potential and it's happened like you know I've read a bunch of books (laughs) 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 where it does you know when you have too much bureaucracy it can lead to analysis paralysis the company's growth slow down and you know like we have stories of corporations that went away Mm -hmm. just because they weren't able to be nimble enough and it's not like their people didn't see things coming or they didn't raise the flag hey maybe we should look into that and so on, but it could have been a some of it leaders and be also some of that bureaucracy that was preventing for those voices to get to places where they needed to get in order to create change. Um, there is actually a great book, and I don't remember the title by John Cotter. So he's mm-hmm. one, you know, very known author, corporations, organizational, and so on, where and I, I can I can remember the title from top of the mind, but there is a book about that, like what is the perfect combination for a company to be competitive, but also have structure to scale, right? Because the thing is that when you're a startup, when you're entrepreneurship, like a lot of it is a bit of chaos, hustling and so on, but it allows you to be nimble and get into the market and survive, right? Mm -hmm. When you get to the point where you want to scale and you want to grow, you have to systemize and 
put processes in place and so on. Otherwise, scaling is impossible, right? You right. fail trying to scale. So where is that sweet medium? So that sweet spot for the company says that, yes, you have to have systems in place and structure, but you need to leave room for that entrepreneurial spirit when you can, people still come up with the ideas. If they see the problems, they can, you know, surface them up quickly where you can still, you know, address whatever is coming in the market or pursue some good ideas. So there is that happy medium between the structure and that entrepreneurial spirit. And that's where the companies, you know, really grow and thrive. It, I always wondered about corporations because as I said, I've never really worked in a big one because I, you know, I just don't fit in the box. <laughs> and they could see that when in the interview process. Mm-hmm. They could tell that I just was not going to fit mm-hmm. in whatever mm-hmm. box they wanted because I just did too much. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a leader trying to hire someone, mm-hmm. how what, how can people become better hirers? How can they, you know, make the process just a little bit easier on people? I would say don't hire people. <laughs> it's funny you say that because like, and I get it, like I've seen that, but uh, I actually never hired people <laughs> in the box because I found that their hiring outside of the box and thinking outside of the box always allowed me to find the best people ever. And I never had a problem with hiring no matter the market. And I found great people just because I was willing to be open to seeing past the resume or seeing past certain flags or seeing past like, oh, this person needs to have this perfect, um, perfect, um, whatever experience and so on and giving people chances. And just because maybe one was given to me when I immigrated to Canada and I didn't have a Canadian experience and yet I managed to find not a cleaning job, right? But somebody looked at my, hey, this girl has a master's degree and she speaks three languages and she moved across the ocean. There must be something to her. Mm -hmm. Let's give her a chance, even though she doesn't have Canadian experience, right? So that always kept me very grateful, super dedicated. My boss, first boss was always telling me like, you know, I hired you because I knew you would want to go work hard. You'll get a mortgage and you, you know, you need to make it here. Yeah. <laughs> work hard, right? So it just creates this dedicated employee that just wants to succeed no matter mm-hmm. what. And will learn whatever you want to learn, whatever they need to learn to succeed, right? Yeah. So And I know it's not a typical thinking and I sometimes had to either convince my bosses or sort of ignore them when I got to the point when I was making my decisions to who they wanted me to hire versus who I thought I should hire. So, you know, there's a balance. Like you might be in a position when sometimes you can just do whatever you feel is best and then have a conversation. Sometimes you can, but then you have a conversation ahead of time. But I would always say like, be actually open-minded. Yes, and don't get me wrong. There are certain positions when, you know, if you need a developer, yes, you need a person, right? <laughs> developer. Skills, right? They need to be able to code. And, and if you don't have time to, don't have time or resources or whatever to sort of mentor somebody to get there, then you don't, right? right. And that's okay. 
but there is also usually again in even if it's a medium company there might be roles where that very hard typical skill it's not that important to the role or it can be learned if the person is mentored enough right mm -hmm. and when you have that possibility always think outside of the box don't put yourself in a certain box and so on right if you don't because you don't have time you don't have this that's okay right but allowing that diversity and having people coming from different walks of life with different perspective but with values that aligned with you work the work ethic that you're looking for and certain soft skills are very hard to teach mm -hmm. and very hard to change i would say be open because again my experience best employees ever. I always thought about it, even as an interviewer, when I was yeah. interviewing, I always think of this as a mutual decision. It's not a one-sided decision. And I know that sometimes it feels like it when you need a job and you're sometimes. looking for it, right? <laughs> it does. But at the same time, if it's just a one-sided decision, then it might not go well, or you might find yourself in a position when you're like, you know, you started three months and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And I want to say that on the, you know, on the employer side, it's also not the greatest to hire somebody who will ultimately leave in a month or two, because right. it does take time to find a person. It does take time to train them and so on. So that's why I always thought, no, no, no. It's a dual decision mm -hmm. and on my end I try to tell you as much about the job as I possibly can within the couple of interviews so you can make an informed decision right giving you pros and cons and how it's going to be without necessarily sugarcoating anything and then but telling you the opportunity that it brings whatever and then on on the interviewee side definitely research the company mm -hmm. right like see ask the questions you want to work for somebody for the companies that have at least values that aligned with you, right? That they, what they, or what they aspire to that aligns. And then, you know, definitely, hopefully you'll have an interview, not just with HR person, but the person you'll end up reporting to, it would be great. So if you do ask them any questions you want, like feel them mm -hmm. as a human, like for me, that was always important. When I was thinking of working for somebody, it, for me, it wasn't just about the money or position, but if I'm going to work for this person, you know, I might not be able to get to know them really well, but even the feeling I'm getting from them, are they going to be a good person to work with? Mm -hmm. And even internally, I would sometimes not even pursue certain position, not because position wasn't interesting or it wasn't an opportunity for me to grow, but not necessarily, I didn't want to work for the person who would be above that, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the position is challenging and then you don't have a good connection with your boss, again, you don't have a support and so on, then it's almost like setting yourself up to fail, right? Yeah, and when you're talking about leadership and when people are looking to work with a leader, that leader has to be able to communicate their leadership style, what they expect from people. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to work together? Yeah. And on the other end, the employee has to be able to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Yeah. Now, how important is a personal brand to in a, for a career? 
I think it's, I, I think it's important, like it is, but it needs to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not about, let me create this persona, right. In my corporate career that doesn't match what I do or how I behave to yeah. get certain jobs because ultimately it will come out, right? right? It's like trying to, I don't know, you're dating and you're trying to put not your own picture there and put all the lies and then you get a match and then they're disappointed. When yeah, you there's up. a word for that. I can't remember cat something or another. <laughs> so, so again, like when I think about personal brand and especially like not only right in in a corporate world it's how do you lead yourself each day how do you behave what is your work ethic not because your employer demands it but because it's in your own value to do the best you can every day to show up a certain way right to behave certain way to talk certain way and so on and it's different for everybody but i think that's how you create a brand Mm-hmm. And then it's important because it's like, it's your reputation. That's what it is, right? The same way a, a company like Apple has a brand and certain reputation to live up to, it's the same with you. If you create this fake image, it's hard to live up to something like That's that day to day, right? So do it by growing yourself as a person, as your own leader, and yeah, and lead by example. And then it will, the the brand will, you will represent yourself good and you will have a great brand. But it'd be authentic. Yes. Make sure that you're authentic. That's right. That's right. And start with your core values. Yes. I always start, whenever I talk to somebody, it's start with your core values. And I have a workbook that I give them and it's like, drill down. I want to, because this isn't about, a lot of times I'll ask, so what are your core values? And they'll go buzzwords integrity uh mm-hmm. authenticity mm-hmm. uh whatever the whatever the buzzword is for this mm-hmm. week right mm-hmm. yeah and then i'll say okay so define that word for me what does, what does it mean? mean for you yeah and sometimes they'll have a definition most times it's like deer in the headlights oh, what do you mean mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> then it's like, okay, so now I want you to share a story of a time that you exemplified that value mm-hmm. in your behavior, whether it was with clients, mm-hmm. customers, mm-hmm. friends, your family. Mm-hmm. And that's when they really figure out whether or not they have that as a value. And yeah. that's why it's so important when you've got a personal brand that you understand who you are at the core Yes. And then you just focus on those experiences, focus on those stories mm-hmm. and find a company whose brands, whose values align with you. Align It'll be a lot you. easier when you walk into that interview yes. to say, look, yes. these are my values. This is how I exemplify them. This is the stories. Mm-hmm. And they can go, okay, well, those are the same values that we have. Or no, those aren't the same values that we have. We actually expect this, 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 and this. And you can go, well, that's not me. Bye. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. It would make things a little bit easier than all the secrecy around the interview process, which gets drawn out to a month, two months. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, you're like, well, we went with someone else. Well, Mm -hmm. you don't know if it was a good fit or not because they're holding all the cards. Yeah. Yeah. So I like your idea of of the conversation of 
mm-hmm. of awesome. not sugarcoating anything. This is exactly what we're looking for. This is exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. And you're not trying to say, okay, well, we're going to put this person on the back burner or we're going to string them along until mm-hmm. we've gone through everyone because just maybe we'll hire them because we need to fill this position. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking about leadership and how leaders in the workforce can mentor and hire and lead and inspire people on the team. And that's a lot of of good advice for anyone coming into the workforce, as well as anyone that uh, might be struggling a little bit with their place in it. So thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Listener, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you learned something new to help you get ahead in your career or business or life as a leader. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to share it out on social media and remember to tag me as well. Maybe you have a friend who is trying to get ahead and needs to know what Maggie Periton shared with us today. Share this episode with them. They will thank you. Listener, I need your help in figuring out what you want to listen to and how I can bring that to you. So drop into marketappeal.com, tap on the community button on the front page and let me know in the brand appeal section of the community page. Remember, Market Appeal membership is for you.